Well, we've started a series called Living Life Without the Fear, and um, we're basically going to take a journey through the book of Joshua, which seems to get longer or shorter, depending who's talking. Um, I said 40 years, to which everyone, ah, but what I meant was 40 weeks. But we're going to take time to discover the power and wonder of this book. And it's the fourth week, and uh, you're going to be very relieved to know we're actually going to finally enter this brilliant Old Testament book. And expose the powerful, relevant truths that we'll find there. So if you want to turn to Joshua chapter 1, it's in your Old Testament. I know somehow some of you are. Um, I'm not sure where. Actually, it's the sixth book. So uh, Joshua, uh, there's always an index at the front of Bibles, which is very helpful as well. And in fact, when I was first uh, became a Christian, I got what I called the um, official learner plates of a Bible, where you get these lovely little tags that you stick uh, where each uh, chapter begins. And so even though I've been a Christian like a year, someone would say, turn to the book of Obadiah. And most people would take three or four days. And I'd just go, yes. <laughs> Astounding spirituality. Um, I mean, I knew the book of Obadiah after three months of being born again. Um, I had the tags, so they help as well. But we're going to turn to the book of Joshua. And we're kind of at a place, as we enter Joshua chapter 1, and we've been kind of laboring over these things, kind of set a background. But what's happened is that the power and the glory of the redeeming God has, has, has brought the people of Israel out of the uh, slavery and the oppression of Egypt and has brought them um, to this place. But what happens is that... The people rebel. The people sort of lose faith in God and kind of worship idols and stuff like that and decide to turn against God's plan to take them into the promised land and sort of seek out their own plans, which is kind of the story of humanity. And so what they do is they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And most of them, in fact, a whole generation except two men, die before they enter um, what is going to happen in the book of Joshua. And so what there was is a display of a lack of faith and, 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 and a rebellion But in the midst of this, we see, as we've been looking, there's this person, Joshua. And this man is just different. He stands out from the rest. And in fact, he's the man that God then selects as we enter this book to take the people from those wanderings. Moses dies. Huge, horrific shock to the people of Israel because, as Andy said, he was the big kahuna. He was the main man. He was the main celebrity. God alone could work through Moses because Moses, you know, spoke with God personally. But God, God shows, I don't need manhood or personality. I lead. And now I'm going to shift and lead through Joshua. So we have what... what, what the setting is here. We're on the edge of the promised land. If you can see uh, behind you, there's the, uh, there's the uh, flooded plain um, of the uh, Jordan River. There's about two million people, a whole lot of goats and all the stinky stuff surrounding them. And they must be just itching to finally settle down. They've been nomads for a long, long time. And that brings us to um, this morning. And I've entitled this morning's sermon, one of, uh, one of the exceptionally long ones, unfortunately. Um, note this. God's precious promises for fearless living never are delivered within a reality vacuum. God's promises for fearless living are never delivered within a reality vacuum. Joshua chapter 1 verses 1 through 9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, as we've said repeatedly, he was an orphan, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. We spoke about how that would have rocked Joshua himself and the people of Israel. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you, nor forsake you. 
Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. You can see what my left and right wrong there. That you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Often we can turn to the Old Testament and wonder what relevance it has to us. But let me just read something that will strike a real kind of stunning similarity to you from the book of Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now many people parallel the book of Joshua in the Old Testament with the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. And there you have it. In Ephesians 1 chapter 3, you see the promise to us as New Testament believers, us who are into the, the family of God through, through um, belief and faith in the, the past event of Jesus' death, His burial, His resurrection, His perfect life that um, could uh, receive the um, sort of uh, righteousness of God because He lived perfectly and He died on our behalf. That we're promised all these blessings, these mighty, glorious spiritual blessings available for us as New Testament people. If you look in Joshua, Joshua's told in this chapter, look at all I'm going to give you. You see the parallels. And the thing is, we spoke August 23rd. I preached um, about the fact that when you're in Christ, if our identity is in Christ, and we really understand what that means, it means we're pure and spotless in His sight. It means we're lavished with His grace. It means we're marked by His Spirit. It means that we're blessed with every spiritual blessing. And that's something that really needs to become a reality, something that we live in as Christian people. And very often, I would say, strangely, in fact, tragically, Many believers do not live a life that possess those promises. I want to highlight this with a brief little tale from one of the commentaries we've been reading and studying and preparing. We've been told in Ephesians 1 verse 3 that we are blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. Unfortunately, very few Christians lay hold of the spiritual blessings that belong to them. Years ago, a certain Englishman moved to the United States. Soon after he arrived, he dropped out of sight. One day, his uncle in England died and left him about a $5 million estate. Scotland Yard went about trying to locate the man whose last address had been in Chicago. They searched for him, but never found him. Later, I heard that he was found one morning frozen to death in an entryway of a cheap hotel. He could not afford the 25 cents that was back then for a room, although he was the heir to $5 million. He did not claim what was his. He did not lay hold of what belonged to him. That's the tragic testimony of many of us as believers. All of this is available, but we don't lay hold of it. We don't, we don't possess it because of our lifestyle. And what I want to do is if we look at this, uh, this chapter and we look at these nine verses, I think there's four specific and clear and astounding promises that are made to Joshua, which I believe apply to us as followers of Christ today. So these, let's look at the immensity of God's promises. The first, if we look at verses two and three, is that we have the promise of actually being in the will of God. That is a promise that is for us as followers of Jesus. The Lord speaks to Joshua right here in this time and he says, Verse 2 and 3, Moses my servant is dead, now then you, 
Joshua was in the right place at the right time because God is going to use him to cross the Jordan with the Israelites. God, Joshua was in the will of God. You and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. What we have here is an insight that Joshua, through all that he's gone through, the reality of his life and all that he's going through, at this moment, at this time, he has the wonderful knowledge, the wonderful promise that is in the will of God. And the thing is, we this morning, we too have the promise of being able to live within the will of God. And I'm not sure whether we grab the immensity of this, because I think it's something we take for granted. But if God were a different God, if God was someone different, He could make it so very difficult, so absolutely impossible to please Him. We could always be kind of wondering, am I in the will of God now? Am I in the will of God now? Am I pleasing God? Is, is God delighted with me? What? We, 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 we could have a very different God, but we don't. The God we have, gloriously and in His grace, actually allows us to live in His will. Wow. It is probably something we take for granted, but it makes every difference to actually experiencing all that God has for us. And not just enjoying the fringe benefits of being a follower of Jesus. Some of you in this room today are outside the will of God. It may be in whatever circumstance, it may be in the way you're handling your work, it may be in the way your mouth is speaking, it may be a relationship, it may be your attitude towards devotional living, all those things. But there's, and you know what? You're just enjoying the fringe benefits of what it is to follow Jesus. For me, I think this concept of being in the will of God or being out the will of God is sort of similar to this. It's sort of similar to a home where the teenage son is sneaking in and out of the home, the home because of his lifestyle and because of all the things he's doing negatively, because of the way he knows he's living, the way he knows that he's acting with girls or the way that he's getting um, involved in things that he knows his father wouldn't be pleased with. So what he does is he sneaks in and out of the home so that maybe he won't encounter his father as he comes in late at night. That's what I think is similar to not being fully in the will of God. Is that what you have, this teenage son, and I pray, and I've said this before, um, is there something wrong with this? I've said this before, that um, I pray that my relationship with my son Malachi will continue so that when he's a teenager, whatever he's going through, he knows that the root and the depth and the intimacy we share as father and son will never change. But I know that if he lives in a way that is outside my will, if he lives in a way that is destructive to himself, destructive to my family, destructive to representing who we are, then there's going to be sneaking, there's going to be in and out without being seen. He's going to be on the fringes of what it is to experience full relationship with his dad. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? And I think that's what it's like to not be in the will of God. We're in the will of God, yes, in that if we're born again Christians, we will go to heaven, we will receive all those eventual promises. But in day-to-day -day living, there is a will of God that we should be seeking to be within. 
And instead of being like the teenage son who, who kind of is sneaking around the father, we should be in a place where as you open the door, dad's there just to embrace you. How was your night? It was fantastic. You know, I dropped this, I dropped this girl off, um, you know, really praying about our relationship with her. Great. You're not trying to get jiggy with it. No, no, no. That's not the way. You know, you're really trying to honor them. Yeah, honoring his parents. I've asked the father if I can take her out. Brilliant, brilliant. You know, instead of this, yeah, taking drugs, trying to sell drugs, can't meet with dad just in case daddy sees me because I'm outside his will. But we have the promise in the scripture. We have the promise that if we seek and honor the will of God, we can live in the very center of the will of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Lord of all creation. I think some of these things just skip by us. Boop. That is a stunning promise. And Joshua at that time was in the will of God. He was the right man in the right place at the right time with the right heart within the will of God to do what God had for him. And I think knowing the will of God for our lives is probably the one of the most common, common questions people will ever ask. I remember when I was in a, a sort of younger years, one of the kind of main tracks at a main camp, if I ever went to like a youth camp, one of the main tracks that would be most attended was, how do I know the will of God? Particularly if you're in the age group of sort of 18 to 25, you're asking the massive questions about your long-term future. If you're meeting a girl, starting to encounter someone that you have feelings for, you're constantly, what is the will of God in this situation? And I found something so helpful because I think we can make it far more intense and far more difficult than it actually is. And I thought it'd just be helpful just to share this guy's view about how can we discover God's will. And um. He says there's a five-step plan that helps us discover God's will. First, be constantly immersed in these. Read the scriptures. They are clear on so many matters. Should I be looking at porn? This is going to tell you immediately that's not a good idea. Okay? Should I be dating a guy who's selling drugs and doesn't love Jesus at all and stop making me go to church? Pretty quickly, it's going to tell you, do not be yoked with those who would do that. It's, it, it's, it's going to give you some information. Should I be doing dodgy deals in my business to get a bit of extra profit? Pretty soon, you're going to read the Proverbs and it'll say, that's not how it's done. So read the scriptures. That'll probably narrow out 80% of the questions we're asking. It is always God's will that we share the message of Christ's love by both our actions and our words. It is always God's will that we be Christ-centered fathers and mothers. His word reminds us in the majority of situations what His will is. Basically, a lot of God's will is obvious. And it's definitely revealed in Scripture. Secondly, though, pray. It is amazing what God whispers to us when we are in open communication with Him. Write down Proverbs 1 verse 27 and look at it when you get home. Where God says that He will whisper in our ears His plans. Thirdly, counsel with godly friends. That's the power of community. That's why we want these small groups. You know, so we could pray together. One of the members of our small group looking into a new job, but having multiple choices to go for it. We pray for it on Thursday night. So that God would hopefully be in, would intervene and give her the job that God has for her. Pray. Third, counsel with godly friends. God has a way of speaking truth through a multitude of counselors. Fourthly, check out the external circumstances. When doors remain closed that you have tried to open, believe that God is locked on those doors. Look for new doors. That was what was so obvious for us moving to view, wasn't it, Andy? It was the, the absolute kind of thrown open doors. Yeah, of course you can come. Why don't you meet there? Why don't you do that? Why don't you have this? Okay, I think God's saying go for it. Um, it was kind of obvious. And fifth, when you've exhausted these first four steps, read scripture, pray, seek counsel, check out external circumstances and you find the doors are neither open nor closed and you're still not sure what to do then do what you want to do 
really seek God, trust God that he's giving you wisdom, that if you've sought those things, if there's a no in any of the first four areas, you probably shouldn't do it. If there's constant yeses in those four, then why don't you go for it in faith and believe that God is calling you to live within his will. But I want to make this point very clear before we move on to the next promise. promise. If you're not in relationship with Jesus Christ, you are absolutely and completely outside the will of God for your life. Because basically you are rebelling and rejecting his will for your life by arrogantly proclaiming that your knowledge of how things should be and the way to live life is superior to his. You're God. You've got a plan. It's nothing like mine, so why don't you leave your plan? Keep it to yourself, because I'm in charge of a big guy, yeah? Probably outside the will of God. Now, we use this horrible word, sin, but in reality, that's what it is. It's just when you say, God, you don't know, you don't have an idea, I'm going to rebel, here's my idea. And you can have a whole lifestyle of that. That's when you're outside of relationship with Jesus Christ. You're not seeking to live a life that brings glory to Him, a life that is in the center of His will in every circumstance if possible. So I say this this morning. If you are outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are probably feeling the effects of not being in the will of God. We're in the middle of a culture that is living outside the will of God. The amount of people I see as I walk by, I see the barrenness, the emptiness, the darkness in their lives. It's just so heartbreaking. Then we have in verses 3 and 4, another promise. The promise of the power of God. God promises Joshua his power. Now you must understand, what we need to do with, with the stories of the Bible is let them be stories, people. Imagine a bit. Open your mind. Open your heart. Standing there on the edge of the flooded waters of the Jordan Plain, Joshua must have been doing some soul searching. He's, he's not just a name in a book. This was a person. Who, like you or me, would have been thinking, what? Moses is Me? Me to take us across? Have you seen how wide they're... How are we going to... What? Have you seen how many people... My wife's been going on and on about me, about finally getting a place together. And I, I, can we not just find a place and settle, have the three kids kind of thing and get happy? Like, what me? And he, he's standing and his mind must have been racing. And I'm sure his soul searching he would have said, gosh, I wish Moses was still around. He handled that Red Sea pretty well. How on earth am I going to pull a party trick like that out of the bag? We turn to Exodus chapter 14, verses 12. <coughs> oh, sorry, I'll just read this to us. Exodus chapter 14, verses 12 and 13. We see the power of God was with Moses. And Joshua must have been thinking back to that. Verse 12. Didn't we say to Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? Oh, I said that wrong. Moses answered the people, verse 13, sorry, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance of the power of Moses. No, you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Verse 21 and 22, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord... There wasn't a bunch of digging because we don't believe the Bible. You know, there's some things we can believe about the Bible, but some things we certainly can't. Moving a whole sea, what there must have been is like one million of the Israelites must have kind of snuck out the back while they're having a meeting. And they dug this mighty trench about four miles up the, uh, the, the kind of uh, big sea. And the water kind of all dumped in there for a while so they could... God moved the waters. God moved the waters. And so we see the power of God was with Moses. And Joshua must have been thinking, well, man, that was pretty special. 
I'm sure his mind would have drifted back over 40 years to that journey into the same land on the other side of this great river. If you turn to Numbers chapter 13, you hear the feedback of the report of the 12 spies sent to go into this land of Canaan. The same land, the same land they were going to go into. Joshua, God is saying to them, go into this land. He says this to them though. He says this, I will give you, I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and so on. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. He promises his power, but his mind must have been thinking back. You know, that 40 years ago where Joshua and Caleb, myself and Caleb were going, no, no, let's do it. Let's go in there and take those guys down. Yeah, they're giants. Yeah, they've got massive places with large walls, but we could take that down. Maybe he was thinking, maybe I was a bit rash. Maybe Caleb and I were just a little young and foolish, you know, at the age of 40. And incapable of seeing the terrors of this land because of our own arrogance. This is what was going through Joshua's mind. And then the promise of God. I will give you the land. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. God promises his immeasurable power to Joshua to fulfill what God had sent him apart, set him apart to do. And maybe as those words were said, he would have relived the battle on the plains as he fought the Amalekites. And he could just briefly look up and just glimpse Moses' hands being raised by Aaron and her. And as they prayed, the victory came. And maybe then he would have said, there was the power of God. There was a, that's the power I can trust in. Because I didn't defeat those Amalekites. God did by his power. And we look forward into the book of Joshua. If you go to Josh, chapter 4, verse 23, I'll read this to you. You see that God, Joshua confirms the promise of God. Verse 23 and 24. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over the Lord. Over The Lord your God did to the Jordan just what he'd done to the Red Sea. Verse 24. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. And that you might always fear the Lord. People of God, today we are promised the same vast power of God to live a life without fear when immersed in a culture of fear. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Wait here until the power comes upon you. 1 John 4 verse 4. Greater is he that is within you than that which is without. The power of God is promised to us. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4. We labor not with weapons of the flesh, but with weapons of the spirit. God has equipped us, men and women, with weapons. You know what weapons do? They get chucked beside the fireplace so we can look at them. No, they're for engaging in battle. That's what weapons are for. We're given weapons to engage the culture of fear, the culture of lies, the culture of deceit that we're surrounded by, and to rise above it. That same power, the power that moved the Red Sea, the power that dried up the Jordan, is the power that is available to us. Because God's promise to Joshua is God's promise to us. Look at the next immense promise. Verse 5 and verse 8. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you, nor forsake you. Verse 8. Do not let this book of the law depart, depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Um, then you will be prosperous and successful. Verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you. Wherever you go. 
And you see what not only jo is Joshua reassured with the promise of God's great power. Here he has promised something far more glorious, more stunning. As God declares, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. If you turn to Exodus chapter 3, you see Moses walking in the desert and he sees a burning bush and he walks up to it. And the I am, God says, take off your sandals, buddy. You're on holy ground. God's here. And Moses encounters this God, the great God. I am who I am. Moses says, yo, um, if I'm going to go back to these guys and do this great thing of getting everyone out of Egypt, which seems pretty intense to me, Lord. In fact, could you find someone else? Who am I going to tell him sent me? Oh, I am that I am. Only God names himself that. I am the I am. I is to such a degree that everything else that is, is because of me, because I is. I am. I am. There's no before I am. There's no after I am. It's just I am. He's eternal. He is glorious. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's so powerful, so mighty, so glorious that all he can name himself is I am. I am. He's a person, not a power. Well, we've got to understand, people, this is our story. We can look at Joshua as a representative of us. We can say, Joshua's part of my story because you're brought into the story of God. It's not just some random um, kind of storybook that isn't real. It's true. The God that met with Moses is a God who promises to be with God. He's a living God. He is not an impersonal power like many of the other religions claim. He is a powerful, personal God who wants to always be with his people. If you look at verse 8 of your Bible. Look at, look at, if you have an NIV or one of the Bibles, look at verse 8 of your Bible. Do you see the way the Lord is written, the word Lord? Um, I might have exactly the wrong verse, so that would be very hard for you. Look at verse 9. Verse 9. Do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for the, how is Lord written there? It's in capitals. L, capital. O, capital. R, capital. D, capital. Do you know why it's written that way? Because it's a special name in Hebrew. Because it is a way of representing the mighty name of God, Yahweh. You know what that word means? You know what that name means? You know when God says, I the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yahweh. When I say I, Yahweh, I say I, the God who keeps his covenants, who reveals himself and who redeems his people. He, that is what is being said there. That's the word used when God says to Joshua, I, the one who will redeem you, the one who will heal you, the one who will restore you, I, the one who always is and never will not be, I am with you. is the God who promises his presence with Joshua. The same God who we spoke of a couple of weeks ago, whose presence Joshua would linger in. He'd stay behind after Moses had left the tent of the Lord because that was where he would most know the joy and the complete promises of what it is to be with God. And you know what? God never backs away from his promises. Tammy read for us this morning. I'll be with you, Joshua. Go for it. All right, I'm out. Joshua 5, verses 13 through 15. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword. I love the fact that he's not kind of waving a banner with kind of long hair and blue eyes and kind of kissing love hearts. A little, you know, he's holding a sword, this guy. 
Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. Look at the way the word is spelt. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Joshua realizes this is God. This is Jesus. This is the pre-incarnate Son of God. And he falls to his knees in worship. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. The great God, Yahweh, the great I am that I am who encountered Moses. Do you know what? He is with us in an even more glorious way than he was with those two men. Now, if you grab a hold of that fact, we should be all throwing up our hands. If there's another Jordan River crossing, Lord, just pick me. Then just pick me. I'm, I'm cool. Because we have the presence of God in an infinitely more intense, more real, more dynamic way. Because, turn to Acts chapter 2, and you don't have to, but the power of God comes. The presence of the Holy Spirit comes upon the people, the disciples of Christ. The church is birthed. And Peter stands up and says, you know that book of Joel where it said that the Spirit of God would come upon and come in every man, woman, and child who would have a relationship with Jesus? That's just happened. That's just happened. He's with us. Acts chapter 2 was the fulfillment of years and years of promise. You see in various passages of Scripture pointing forward to this time. Ezekiel, Jeremiah, when new spirits, new hearts, our hearts would no longer be flesh, but God would no longer make us obey the law by trying to be really obedient robots. But He put His Spirit in us and we'd obey the law because His Holy Spirit is alive within you and me today. If you know Jesus this morning, if you're in relationship with Jesus, you are filled with the Spirit of God. I am, Yahweh, dwells in your heart. That's stunning. But we don't claim the promises. He is with us. He is within us. I ask you to meditate on John 15 and 16 when you get home or when you get a chance for a deeper understanding of this truth. Let me share why I think very few of us enjoy the wonder of this reality of the presence of God. It is wonderful that the same leader, he who confronted jo Joshua in chapter 5, is with us, th this, th Jesus. Must we struggle today in our own wisdom and puny strength? No, the power is there. Are we to know the power of this leader? Well then, Tammy, you're going to laugh. Let us get our shoes off. Let us never forget the words of Paul. I am the slave of Jesus Christ. If our shoes are not off before this leader, Jesus, we will not know his power. The person at the burning bush, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the captain of the Lord's host, Jesus Christ, this one is still with us. If we don't take our shoes off, if we don't recognize who he is, if we don't understand that this is a holy God, this is a glorious king, this is the Lord of lords, then we're probably going to reject his presence. Finally, we see one more promise, the prosperity of God. Verse 8, be prosperous and successful. Now our immediate inner response to this verse should be the greatest testimony to whether we are other obsessed ministries, missionaries or if we're self-obsessed. What we mustn't do is degrade the glorious promise of divine prosperity by drawing it down to human standards. Don't just think, and I say just think, when God promises prosperity, that is to be drawn down to a human standard of financial prosperity. That is a lie. And this teaching is rampant across the globe today in the name of Jesus Christ. Why was Jesus the poorest man who probably ever lived? 
surely he should have been living it up large. Surely he should have been like a, you know, pimp my ride Jesus or, or something. You know, like, a, like a, a show. You know, let's check out Jesus' crib, man. Let's go check out Jesus' crib. He's like, yo, come on, peeps. And he's showing you, you know, multiple LCD TVs. You know, the guy's hooked up. No, no, no. Died on a cross naked. The promises of the prosperity of God are that we can actually be a part of, be invited in, can be drawn into the wonderful, fulfilling, glorious thing of being in relationship with Jesus and living for His cause, living for His purposes, living out His journey. Listen to what one man says, a guy called um, Lloyd Huffman. He says, our tendency is to decode this into narcissistic terms to make it about ourselves. But let's trust God for more than that. God doesn't function just in cosmetic terms. He's not in the business of tummy tucks and nose jobs or of making life easy. He's in the business of transforming us into his image. He's in the business of helping us to serve him, meeting the deepest needs of others who hurt, who are in pain, who need deliverance from sin, who need their bodies healed and their minds restored. God is in the business of helping us to lead people to a personal, vital relationship with Him, the Savior Lord. That is the ultimate lifestyle of prosperity and success when you are a constant agent of people coming to know Jesus. I want to make a very powerful point very quickly because I need to move on quite fast. These promises are given for a people of mission. Notice these promises are given when God says, get ready to cross. These are people that are responding to the great mandate of this God. Go. And we too are a people of mission. We too have received the great mandate of the Messiah. Go and make disciples. This cannot be maybe theologically proven, although if you gave me time, I'm sure that it's there. If you're not in the go mode of following Jesus, you will not enjoy these promises as fully as if you are in the go mode. Understanding that we're a part of mission. These promises are made to people that were willing to go by faith and step across the river. And we need to be a people of mission, responding to the mandate of Jesus. Go therefore and make disciples. Understand this though, and this is a massive point I want to make. Our faith is never lived out in a reality vacuum. Our faith is never lived out in a reality vacuum. Why do I say that? Well, you see here, Joshua receives promise and assurance one after the other. Promise, 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 presence, glory, um, will, what, it just promises. And then suddenly he is told, you need to be strong and courageous. In fact, if you look at it, God is almost like a stuck record on this one. He's kind of like my son Malachi, who when he gets it into his head that he wants to ask a question, he could literally say it from the moment he wakes up to the moment he goes to bed and probably in his sleep. Daddy, what's this? 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 And it's almost like God is in a similar way with this concept of be strong and courageous. Look at verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Verse 7. Be strong and courageous. Verse 9. Twice. Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. Be strong and courageous. Deuteronomy 31 verses 6 and 7 and 8 and 23. Let me read them to you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified. Verse 7. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, Guess what? Be strong and courageous, for you must go with his people. Then he says again in verse 8, The Lord himself will be, be before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Be strong and courageous. Do not be discouraged. Okay, verse 23. Guess what? The Lord gave this command to Joshua, son of Nun. Be strong and courageous. Get it into your head. Be strong. 
and courageous. Why? If you've just received all the promises of God, He's promised you His presence, He's promised you His power, He's promised you that you can be within His will, and He's promised you His success and prosperity. Why, after these magnificent words have been spoken to Moses, surely he should have sat back on his camel skin couch, munching on some dates, and catching up on his favorite episodes of Survivor Sinai Desert on his Sky Plus box. That's what he should have been doing. Guys, God has promised me his power, his presence, his will, his, uh, his prosperity. I don't know what you guys are going to do, but I've got to catch up on that Survivor Series in the Sinai Desert because I'm wondering who wins. The opposite is true. It is exactly because there were such promises to claim, so much to be possessed, that Joshua would need all the strength and courage imaginable to embrace all the joy and the fruits of this new place, Canaan. There would need to be constant conflict against and eradication of all that would deny that enjoyment. Constant conflict against and the eradication of everything that would work against the Israelites enjoying the fruits of the promised land. And it is exactly the same today. Every great promise of Ephesians 1, those promises which are distributed on almost every page of Scripture are not delivered to us devoid of living within the reality. They're not delivered to us in a reality vacuum. Where we go, sweet, got all the promises, everything's going to be wonderful now. The reality is we are in a fallen, secular, fear-inducing culture. Those promises are not delivered within a reality vacuum. Don't ever make the mistake, my friends, that when you come to Christ, that you almost deserve the smooth ride. Because you won't. In fact, you have got a tag on your back. Because you've said, I'm standing up for something different. And in fact, Jesus, that's why Jesus prays this prayer. I pray that you would make them be in the world, but not of it. Nothing is harder than being in a world like this, but not being of it. We are living for something glorious. We are seeking to be radically different. Our mandate is to engage the destructive elements of society to bring God's presence, God's love, and God's truth where there is only emptiness, hate, and endless lies. The reality of missional living, living for a cause, living out the life of Jesus to our friends, to our workmates, is an intense confrontation with the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we will need inconceivable strength and courage. If you're not a Christian, there's nothing going on. You're living it according to plan. The devil, the world, your flesh, they kind of have their way. But when you choose, when God chooses you and saves you and says, now live out a missional life, now live a life that makes a difference, oh my you are in battle. All the promises of Ephesians 1, be strong and very, very courageous. But it's not a strength we work up or make happen. Big guys in this room, okay? There's a couple of guys bigger than me, which means you're a, quite a dude. Because I'm quite a dude. I think, my wife doesn't, but hey, I've got to kind of live in it. It's not your strength. It's not you work up some superpower kind of drink some, you know, whatever, max milk, max muscle, whatever. This is from the Lord. It's not a strength we work up or make happen. I say that to you ladies as well. It is the faith in the promises of God and the person of God that give us the supernatural strength and courage of God. It's reciprocal. This is one of the things God works in a strange way. I have so many people come to me and say, I don't really feel close to Jesus. I just feel distant from God. You're reading your Bible. No. <laughs> let's work this out quickly um, did you stop reading your Bible and then felt far away from God or did you feel far away from God and then stop reading your Bible yes yes 
It's reciprocal. Let me tell you this. If you're feeling distant from God, do not stop reading your Bible. If you stop reading your Bible, don't be surprised if you feel distant from God. The two things are infinitely and totally intimately related. In the same way, the strength and courage that God calls upon for Joshua. Joshua is now going to cross a river and battle with giants. He's going to battle with people that have built massive walls. And he's not going to need his own strength and courage. Because what he does is he believes in the promises and the presence and the, of God. And that's what gives him the strength and the courage. It's reciprocal. So our strength and our courage comes from faith that we believe the God of Joshua, the God of Moses, Abraham, Isaac, is a God who steps into our lives and says, I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I promise you my presence. My spirit is alive in you to such a degree that even if you don't know what to pray, I will pray it for you. That's the God that is with us. That's what gives us strength and courage. But if you walk away and you have a lack of faith from this God and his promises, you're not going to be strong and courageous. You're going to get the heck beaten out of you. And that's what happens to a lot of us. It happens to a lot of us. You see, 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 tells us that we're not to be a timid people. You see, a lot of people get Christians wrong. We're supposed to be the ones, mm, yeah. mm, Jesus loves you. Timid. We're not supposed to be timid or fearful. That comes from leaning on our own strength and trusting in our own courage. If you have a lack of faith, if you're distant from God, if you're unaware of the promises, if you're not pursuing the wisdom that God offers, but you're just trying to be clever to deal with situations in your own wisdom, you will get knocked off your feet quicker than you can imagine. Because we're battling the world, and there's a lot of world out there, and only one of us. We're battling the flesh, and let me tell you, the flesh can work as strong as it ever did. And battling the devil. We have the strength and the courage. We need the strength and the courage. This is not just this fantastic little journey where we just sit and say, Yay, all the promises of God are promised. They're in heaven. Can't wait to get them. We need to claim them. We need to possess them. We need to live a life without the fear. Strength is to keep on doing what we need to do to ensure the blessings. Courage is to stand up when there are options to back out. Strength is to keep on doing what ensures the blessings in the midst of the battle of living in a world that is not for us. Courage is to stand up when there are options to back out, sharing your faith, conforming to peer pressure. Courage is when you say, I will not do that. Courage is when you go, I know you're going to hate me talking about this, but let me share my faith with you. I'm going to finish with some questions. Are you living without the promises of God, wandering in a wilderness of longing? You see, every one of us was made for a relationship with Jesus. One of the main reasons you're here this morning is because that longing is working in your hearts. Are you wandering in the wilderness, battling with those longings and the desire to know complete life, kind of battling with the, is it Christianity? They're a bunch of wackos. Is it them? Do I have to be like them? You need to be who Jesus will make you. But God wants to encounter you and take you out of the wilderness of wanderings and draw you into his promises. Are you mad at God or bitter because you're letting the reality of life get you down when you expected a reality vacuum? Were you one of those who threw up your hands saying, sweet, I'm a Christian, it's going to be great from now. Whoa. Are you confusing the results of disobedience and distance from God with the battle to enjoy the promises of God? That's a key one, my friends. Are you confusing the results of your own disobedience and distance from God for the battle to enjoy the promises of God? Don't come to a pastor, don't come to anyone and say, I've just... I'm so far from God, I'm so distant, and, and, and I'm not reading my Bible, and I'm, I'm, I'm having sex with this guy, and, and, and we're, not, you know, we're not married or anything, but, but um, I, just, I just, it feels, I feel like I'm being beaten up, you know, I think, I think um, the world is against me. No, 
You're living in disobedience and you're living in distance from God. That's why you're feeling beaten up. Where are your strength and courage levels this morning? Because we are at war and if you're, sh- if you're not feeling if, as if you are, it may be that you're sitting back on the proverbial couch with your remote in hand and not living out all the precious promises and the glorious joy of pursuing Jesus. Or you've given up already and you're just a spectator. Everyone else should be right in the midst of the battle. I'm going to pray for us, but I'm going to also encourage you. We have a ministry team, several individuals here today who will pray with you up at the back while we pack down. We all need strength and courage. I'm going to pray that. But if you particularly this morning need strength and courage, continue prayer for healing like we mentioned earlier this morning, or maybe even to begin a relationship with Jesus, to get out of that wilderness of wanderings and enter into a relationship with God, please, 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 don't be shy to go up there. They're good people. They're not that scary.